they pack all those tunnel systems full of uh, of cow pats so that then when the eggs uh, emerge they've already got a readily a source to feed on before they emerge to the surface. The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative, low-input, regenerative and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil, an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. Today on the Biological Farming Roundtable, I'm chatting to Rodney Bacon, who grows beef and sheep with his father near Echuca. Together we explore the secret life of the amazing dung beetle and the incredible journey Rodney has been on with his community to create a corridor with his neighbours for these intelligent creatures. Rodney and I also discuss how putting ingenuity to the test has allowed him to make his own compost extraction system, helping him to keep costs down while maximising biological inputs in his farming system. This is my conversation with Rodney. Thanks for talking with me today, Rodney. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Nicola. Excellent. Rodney, I am keen to hear about your farm and all the interesting things that you have been doing on it. Do you want to tell us a bit about your farm just near Echuca? So we farm just southwest of Echuca on just over a thousand acres on four different properties that are pretty much adjoining and um, we run about 150 beef cows and about 60 ewes, so just a, a nice little number to sort of keep on top of all the little jobs you have to do. And you have been fairly naturally farming for a number of years now with your dad. Do you remember a change when you started to farm more naturally or is it what you've just always remembered? Uh, probably just what we've always remembered really. Um, it, it's one of those things, it's taken a little while to sort of um, everything to start happening. So, yeah, it's it's not something that's just happened overnight. Um, so, yeah, we've managed to sort of cut back our uh, synthetic fertilisers and, um, and farm with with minimum of, of synthetics. You do some very interesting things with dung beetles and that's been in the last number of years. Could you tell us about that? So um, with, with our dung beetles, um, it all started nearly 20 years ago when um, mum and dad went to a beef meeting, a little beef group we're in, and the guest speaker was John Fan, And um, he's, um, if you need to know anything about beetles John knows them and um, so mum and dad come home with that and out of that they bought uh, a summer colony and a winter colony and about 20 years ago was about the start of the 10-year drought we had so um, over the first 10 years the beetles really struggled and we really haven't seen too much activity from the summer ones but the winter ones after a period of time um, grew in numbers and, yeah, they're thriving at the moment. So 20 years ago you bought these beetles? Probably approximately 20 years ago, so, yep. Have you purchased any more recently? A couple of years ago um, Grant Sims was chasing after some more beetles. I'd give him a number and um, and he wasn't having any luck getting a colony. So I said, well, we need to approach this a little bit different. Maybe we need to get a few more farmers on board in our area 
And so we did that. And talking to John, he said there was um, some funding through Landcare, which Grant's mum, Wendy, uh, is a is secretary of our uh, Landcare group. So she got on board and, and we did a ring around and didn't manage to get funding for the first lot that we did. But what we did was we managed to get 16 farmers on board in our area at a cost of about $800 to each farm for a colony of beetles. And out of that, we ended up with approximately, um, what was it, 16-odd thousand beetles in our area. And the area was over was uh, about 10 kilometres wide and about 25 kilometres long was the corridor that we um, released. So... Then we um, we tried again for some funding for the next year and um, we got a bit of funding. Uh, it was actually through Landcare and the council and actually a local mining company come on board and helped us with some funding. So out of that then, we, um, we went for round two of our beetles and we ended up with another... 13,000 beetles out of the second lot. So partly funded. Um, some of us that bought the first lot didn't have to buy any for the second round and um, and then some that hadn't bought any the first lot, they actually got part funded for the second lot. So out of the two lots of rounds that we did of beetles, we've released approximately around 26,000 beetles over... 22 farms and there's five different species and so with that you've got summer species and winter species so they go for different times of the year and then on top of that we've got three people in our land care group that um, have got nurseries for dung beetles this is another little program that come out and so they started with about 180 beetles and they've got a little nursery that they feed their beetles when they're in the breeding season sort of thing when they're active and they're currently breeding their numbers up and they're a spring release beetle so um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. You have summer, winter and spring. Yeah, so we haven't released any of the spring ones yet and so um, it's interesting with our beetles when we first got them, John said that our winter ones would probably uh, become active in about May and finish probably about August. But because we've got irrigation in this area, we can mimic sort of, well, stretch out a season sort of thing. So we've actually had our beetles start up in March and then finish in October. So, And we know that we've only got sort of one... Uh, species of beetle, uh, the winter one. So we know they're, you know, what sort of a season they're having, and they are very seasonal. Um, they like it to be reasonably wet, become active. So that way, by watering our winter annuals, um, we um, usually start the beetles a little bit earlier. So um, it's it's quite interesting. What I find amazing is that you've created this corridor of farmers around you did you call around how, how did you get everyone together on board to want to be involved in having these dung beetles on their property well how it sort of started was you know we thought oh well 
football target, a few that we knew might be interested. And, you know, it'll take a little while for, for the summer ones to, to get established. Um, and it'll be interesting because we have a lot of crows in this area. When you release them, um, you know, it's, it's you could have just provided a bit of bird feed for starters. So um, so it'll, it will take a little while. And that was the whole idea of actually getting uh, a group of farmers on board that um, actually getting them established, we've got more chance of getting them established as a collective group rather than just one person trying to do something on their own. So that was sort of how we went about it. And um, it was interesting how many people were quite interested in coming on board. And out of what we've been doing, well, um, Wendy's had quite a few phone calls from other land care groups in the area um, wanting to know what we've done and, um, you know, where they could possibly get some beetles. So it's it's sort of something that started as very little, has really grown into something quite big. And that first release that we did of beetles, after we'd done that, um, John Fian, he worked for um, years ago, um, he started with a department. Um, they bought out beetles back in uh, the probably the 60s to 70s to Australia. So um, he said that release of beetles was the biggest release in the southern hemisphere of those two species in one hit sort of thing. So it was quite interesting. What's involved in starting a colony? So you buy a colony, you said they're about $800 a colony? Yep, and so you just you get uh, a heap of beetles in a container and what you do is you go out and you just over about um, six to eight cow pats, you just drag a bit of poo to one side and plonk them in it and um, and cover them back over. And so um, you sort of put them where you've got stock currently um, so that there's, there's um, plenty of tucker for them for starters. And... Um, they will take a little while to breed up and, and ours, they're more active during the day because we've got more numbers now. But when we didn't have the numbers, we never really saw any activity during the day as, as such. Um, we reckon because of the, the birds and that around, they've adapted and then they've actually started doing all their work of a night time where they weren't getting smashed by the, the birds sort of thing. So they're, they're an interesting little creature. So when you start your colony and you put them in their cow pat and you cover them over, you don't have to monitor them again after that? No, it's just drop and forget. And what we did was we, um, when we did release our beetles, uh, we had a little bit of literature on sort of how to look after them, which doesn't take a lot. It's, it's more so um, uh, you've got to be careful with drenches. Uh, probably the biggest um, problem with beetles once they get established because if you use the wrong drench, uh, you can actually wipe out a colony. So um, good old Cydectin is probably one of the, the ones that's been around for a long time that's, um, that um, the makeup of Cydectin doesn't actually harm dung beetles. So um, that's, that's one of those things that, you know, we went around and... and got people to tell their neighbours that they've done a release of beetles and, and just be wary of what you're drenching sort of next door because if someone drenches, some of the components in the drench uh, 
actually attract the beetles to the cow poo and then what's in the poo from the cows that's gone through the, the gut of the cow uh, will actually kill off the beetles. So uh, you, you sort of got to be a little bit careful. So do you think that everybody who is within that corridor and maybe the exterior uh, are on board with that and they're using the right drenches? Well, possibly not. But at the end of the day, um, if if you can get a colony established and, and you've got enough neighbours doing the right thing, once they're established, um, we've actually had a neighbour that a couple of years ago, he buys in cattle and um, and he probably drenches. We've told him about it, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, he probably just uses the drench that he had sort of thing or what supplied to him. So um, we went and had a look last year and we had beetles going during winter and, and we couldn't find any activity over the fence in his place. So we reckon that he possibly drenched with the wrong drench. And yet again, this year, now that he's, he's got cattle and it's winter time, uh, the beetles are back. So um, it's it's one thing that, you know, people will do the wrong thing. Um, but if you can get enough numbers in the area, they're going to, you know, keep thriving and, and get numbers up. So there'll probably be a bit of a cull now and then in some areas, but uh, it's one of those things you can only... You can only do the right thing on your side of the fence, um, you know, and try and educate people, but it doesn't always work. Well, tell us about the benefits. Why are dung beetles so great? Why have you gone to all of this trouble? Well, probably one of the things was um, the amount of flies in our area. My girlfriend was originally from Melbourne and she come up here to live and the flies drive her absolutely mad during summer. So she's gone, oh, what can we do about these flies? I said, we need more beetles. So uh, so that's probably only a small part of it. But the thing is with flies is is all uh, the bad traits that come with flies, you end up with pink eye and fly-struck sheep. And so if you can cut your fly numbers, um, which some of the studies, um, fly numbers have been cut Um you know, quite substantially because in some areas where people have, have done this sort of work as far as building up their numbers early in in uh, proceedings of beetle numbers, they're now seeing that they put a mob of cows in a paddock and when they move those cows, within 48 hours of moving those cows, the beetles have actually pretty much cleaned the paddock up of cow pats. And the other thing is, is instead of having all the, pet, the cow pats sitting on the surface, you know, not allowing grass to grow up through it, um, all that, all the nutrients that are in those cow pats uh, are buried in the ground and um, and improve your soil in that way. Instead of it just sitting on top doing nothing, uh, it's improving your soil and. And the beetles, they dig little tunnels underneath the cow pats. So it's it's another way of aerating your soil, you know, a, a natural way without having to do it with a mechanical means. Amazing. I think of rip and drip and they're doing it themselves, uh, tillage. And um, what else are they doing? They're, they're taking away those, you know, when you get your lumpy pastures because of the manure pads. Yeah. Yeah. So are you finding your pastures uh, more even? Uh, They're getting better. Um, 
it's the, and that was the big thing is during winter at the moment, um, it's getting harder to go out finding cow pats to actually put in the veggie garden because they've all got beetle activity in them. Um, and so the big drive for getting more species was, you know, we got to summer and all of a sudden you've got a paddock littered in cow pats. Um, so if we can actually get a coverage of 12 months of the year with beetles, well, um, you know, you haven't got that lag during summer of, uh, of where you get a build-up of cow pats. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's if you can get everything going for 12 months, you'll get in a better improvement over, you know, a shorter time sort of thing. And when you're going out looking on your pastures and you're finding these dung beetle holes, they go quite deep, they're very open. Can you count them? Like is that how you you can assess how well your dung beetles are doing? Well, with the beetles, what they do is they uh, they bring the dirt to the surface. So you get, um, it, it looks like real fluffy soil uh, coming through the, the cow pat and, and you can tell what colour soils you've got because uh, you'll go around and you've got real dark chocolatey soil coming through the cow pat or rich red sort of, Clay sort of dirt coming up through the um, through the soils. So, um, and you, you can tell that you've got more numbers by the amount of soil that's actually coming through the cow pat. And so, uh, sometimes you might end up at the end with just a little wafer thin. It just looks like a frisbee, um, but then you hold it up to the light, and and you can see all the daylight through it. And that's basically that all that's left from a cow pat that was probably, you know, 25 mil thick and 300 sort of across. So that's that's sort of the way I gauge it is uh, the, the amount of activity and how quick the activity happens. So we've had it that we've moved a mob of cattle along a track and ridden along that track on the motorbike the next day and you'll see activity in the, the, the cow pats that were left from moving the stock the day before. So... It's, it's a matter of how quick they get to them. Um, then you know you've got, you know, pretty good numbers sort of happening. I imagine they're very similar to earthworms. So they're not just burrowing down, they're actually consuming this manure and then manuring it out themselves, making that into a plant available nitrogen. Is that what's going on? So what they do is, is they'll eat uh, just a small portion of it um, it doesn't take a lot to keep a beetle alive, so he'll get the nutrients out of it. But then uh, what he buries in there is he's laying eggs down underneath the cow pats um, in the little tunnel systems. And so then they um, they pack all those tunnel systems full of, uh, of cow pats so that then when the eggs uh, emerge, they've already got a readily a source to feed on um, before they emerge to the surface. So that's sort of how it sort of evolves. Intelligent. And does an increase in dung beetles often follow an increase in earthworms? Um, I'm sure it's, it's one, one's got to work with the other because as you're in, you know, you've improved your soil by, by putting all those nutrients down in the root system and so the, the worms will, will flourish sort of thing. So you said that you were using low-level synthetics 
and biologicals. Yep. What other biologicals are you using? Uh, so we're using Nutrisoil and I went to a field day that Grant had and he was making um, compost extract. So out of that I thought, oh, I'd like to have a go at making compost extract, but I didn't know how I'd be able to do it. And so I racked my brain over a period of time and um, and thought, oh, well, there's got to be a, a, a simple way of doing this. And uh, I didn't want to rush out and buy a tank and try something that wasn't going to work. So um, looking out in the yard, I've got a few thousand-litre shuttles that I've got Nutrisoil in. So um, I got a bag of uh, Nutrisoil compost um, when I purchased some Nutrisoil at some stage and um, and I've sort of been playing around and trying to improve my way of doing that. When I first did it for starters, I just dropped the compost straight into the shuttle, um, but I found um, there was a few solids in there that the pump didn't like. So <laughs> since then, I've, I've just used the... One of those old um, mesh beds and use that as a bit of a sieve and drop it and all the rocks and stuff run to the outside and the finer material runs through the, the bed into a, an old bath underneath and I can sit through and pull a few little rocks and stuff and sticks out and um, drop that into the shuttle with uh, sort of three quarters full of water and then I've made up a, a little manifold that um, hooks onto the hose off a two-inch, just a, a pump that I use for filling up my boom spray, a quick-fill pump. And um, so I suck out of the bottom of the tank and then transfer it back to the top and just stir it up that way and um, give it a little bit of time in the tank. And then to actually put it through the boom spray, I was trying to figure out a way of, uh, of getting it uh, without the the solids through to be able to put it through the boom and um, come up with an idea of just using a, a milk sock. So I just put the sock over the end of a hose and tie the end off with a couple of cable ties and clamp it to a hose and just decant it from uh, one shuttle to another so the water gravity runs out of the tank through the sock and catches all the the solids so what I normally do is do a, a half a shuttle and then I'll um, put the the other half I'll top up with Nutrisoil and um, and make up a, a mix and then I can uh, drop it straight into the, the boom and um, and put it out instead of just putting compost tea out at five litres well I'm doing five litres of compost tea and another five litres of compost extract. When you said a mattress, did you literally mean an old mattress filter? No, no, no. not the mattress, just the old mesh beds, the really old-style mesh bed. So um, they've been around a long time. They, they, they're a fine mesh. A bed from a house. A bed from a house. Yeah, I thought that's what you meant. So... Uh, so yeah, and well, when we when we bought this place, uh, it come with um, with a bit of old furniture and stuff because the, they they never had a sale at the place, and um, there was all these single beds. So when I first 
like did my first batch, I, I had a few um, bits of gravel and stuff that went through, and and I thought, well, I've got to look after me pump a little bit better. How can I actually overcome this? And I thought, oh, I'll have a look because I still had some of the old bed frames, and um, this is just the base that you put the mattress on. Probably not that comfortable to sleep on because they'd be more like a hammock, but <laughs> um, but it works a treat. You just uh, drop a couple of buckets of um, the compost on an angle and, and all the, the solids sort of run down the, the side and, and the fines run through and just into an old bar. So it, I'm, it imagining, I'm imagining that your, your IVC has been cut off so it's totally open or are you putting this into the, the container lid? In through the container lid, so... The mesh is um, on top I, of that, I see. Just, yep, just a little round lid at the hole. So I just, yeah, drop a couple of buckets into the shuttle and my little manifold that I made up actually fits down through the hole. It's just um, two-inch polypot fittings, so your, your hard polypot fittings. So I've just got um, a series of tees set up at the bottom and they're just turned around a little bit from each other so when you start the pump it actually creates a little bit of a swirling effect in the bottom of the tank just to to stir everything up. And how long does that take from start to finish of making the extract? Well I probably did um, some and what I've been doing is actually putting uh, just a a couple of aerating pumps from a fish tank um, and just your little electric uh, air pumps and just dropping them in the tank and letting them bubble. So you could probably over a week or so, a couple of weeks, and then um, it uh, sort of mixes up a little bit and then before I actually um, use it then, I usually put the, the two-inch pump on it and give it a stir up again just to get everything floating in the tank and then... Because it's a tank, if you're only doing it gravity, you're not forcing stuff out, you're still going to get a lot of a lot of the solids settle in the bottom of the tank anyway and then you just wash them out at the end. A couple of weeks you're preparing this. I've heard people do it over a couple of hours. Why did you decide to leave it longer? Well, I usually set it up and, and just let everything sort of settle in there if you've got a tank sitting there, um, you can't always get on the paddock anyway. So if you've got it just sitting in the sheds, then as soon as the opportunity comes, all you have to do is um, drop it in with your Nutrisoil and go sort of thing. So um, that was sort of my theory of it, whether I'm doing the right thing. Um, I'm still learning like everyone else. I don't think there's a right and a wrong when we're dealing with microbes. I think just getting them out in any way that we can is is beneficial. You talked about a sock. What sock was that? A filter so, sock? Um, to filter it, all I did was, because I, I was only trialling stuff um, and I didn't know whether I could have put, put it through the boom spray that we use, um, I went to a, rang a local dairy farmer that I know and said, um, can't save me a few of your milk socks, can you? So the milk socks are actually the filter that they run the milk through um, to, to take out any of the, the solid impurities that they have before it goes into the bat. So um, 
he just give him a rinse at the end and let him dry and um, save me about 20. And um, and so sometimes you'll put a little bit through and, and it does slow down reasonably quick. It just depends how things are sort of sitting in the tank as far as solids go. So I... I run it from one tank to another and then what I do is then gravity feed it into the, the boom spray. I've got a um I've got a injection tank that you put chemical in on the on the boom spray that I can actually gravity feed out of a shuttle straight into that and then suck it into the tank. So I then put a sock on that again and and filter it twice. So that then, when I run it through my boom spray, um, it it goes through fine. Um, haven't had a blockage at all. So that was my big concern was um, I'd be creating myself another problem by just blocking up the nozzles by doing extract as well as compost tea. Are you taking all of these tanks on a trailer out into the paddock, or you you're doing this in in the shed or just in one location? So just in one location, yeah. so all I do is um, we've got a, a couple of tanks, that, rainwater tanks that we use our um, with our sprayer and I just put one shuttle on a trailer and tow it over there and throw a tarp over it um, during the day to, to keep a little bit of sunlight off it and just have it parked beside the tanks and so I can just pull in with the boom spray and have it filling with water while I'm um, putting the, the compost in before I use to decant it out of the shuttle and actually then have to physically put 20-litre drums or 25-litre drums um, into the boom spray um, that way, whereas now I just let it run straight in and suck it in when you've got 250 litres out of the shuttle, that's close enough, and turn it off and... We um, can hold two and a half thousand litres of water in our boom spray, so your rates work out very easy, and off you go. So you're putting out five litres of the worm liquid, and then five litres of the vermicompost extract per hectare. Yes. Yep. So for starters, we used to just put five litres of the of the compost tea. Um, whereas then I thought, well, if I can increase your your microbes by putting compost extract in um you've got to see more of a benefit you're driving over the paddock once you may as well double the rate of what you're putting out yeah when you think of the vermi liquid like the vermi wash the nutrisoil the microbes in there uh you've got more highly bacterial microbes and it's not that it's not increasing your mycorrhizal fungi in your soil but any liquid, any extract is bacterial-based. So it has spores of mycorrhizal fungi in it. But I think using the castings as well, there's different microbes in those castings that don't get into the liquid. You're increasing the amount of, of microbes putting it together because a worm liquid, it's actually those non-nutrient factors uh, which are the real key, the signalling, the enzymes, the hormones, all those complex sort of amino acid molecules. So I think you're making a really superior product putting them together. And why not? It's so cheap. It is. It is. It's just a bit of time and um, and a little bit of mucking around. And once you've got a, a brew sort of going, well, uh, then, yeah, like I said, it, it makes it easier by doing it with shuttles, Um 
than the way I used to do it with just filling up bottles and then having to physically put them up and, and into the into the um, into the boom that way sort of thing. So it's it's made things actually easier. Yeah, and you can go and buy a compost extract machine that does this and it's going to be over $20,000 and you're using simply IVCs and an old mattress base. <laughs> it's fantastic. How long does the castings, the vermicast, last uh, in your batches? So how much do you put in per batch and how far does that take you? So I just put a, a couple of buckets. Um, I, I haven't even weighed it. Um, it's it's fairly dense. So um, like I said, it, it's still only at the experimental stage. I've only just started playing around with it. So um, I haven't mastered it yet. I'm still improving on it and we've got our own little um, worm farm from the veggies from the house going so I get a little bit of um, worm juice out of the bottom of that and throw into the shuttle as well to add to it. Fabulous, fabulous. You're you're getting different microbes from your own worm farm as well as the Nutrisol worm farm and the extract. It's It's a great combination. I understand it's not for everyone, so just some people won't want to be doing all those additional mixes and filtering. Um, but if you're really um, interested in wanting to increase how much diversity you're putting out there, this is a very simple, uh, well, I'm not sure if you call it. It is simple, but it's time-consuming, uh, but it is cost-effective. And, and that's that's the way I saw it as... Um rather than put double the rate of, um, of Nutrisoil on, if I can actually um, add it with something a little bit different, like you say, it's, um, it's, it changes the dynamics of the mix. And, um, and, yeah, time will tell. We'll see what happens. How long have you been doing this for? Probably the last six months. So you've introduced the extract in the last six months. You've been using uh, Nutrisoil and the worm liquid over 10 years. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah, yeah approximately 10 years. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and I just thought, well, if we can beef up what we're already putting out, um, we'll, um, we'll hopefully we can improve and on, on the, the benefit that we get. So. I'll be very interested to watch your uh, water infiltration rate with all of the things that you're doing, especially with the dung beetles and your worm count. It'd be great to see if your worm count increases as well. We did have an agronomist come at one stage and was looking and and over at Dad's, he was walking around a paddock and he's gone, oh, it's quite surprising. Uh, Just on the surface, you could actually see where the worms are had left like their, their little dropping sort of thing. Yeah. He's gone, oh, you've got very good worm activity here. So it's one of those things, everything takes a little while to sort of um, develop and improve things. And will those dung beetles cross-pollinate across the different the, the farms? How do they behave when they're in such a um, big community? So uh, a dung beetle will smell cow poo, a kilometre away. So, and some fly during the day and some fly like during the night or just on dusk. So they move around once they finish where they're eating, they go in search of more. So um, that's how they, they do spread over a distance because 
when they're sort of running out of tucker on your place, they'll they'll go search it elsewhere and move to the neighbours and um, they find a partner sort of thing and um, they breed up in, in a cow pat and they probably last anything from two weeks to a month, I think, depending on the species. They vary from species to species. So um, it's just a matter of the best thing you can do is actually just let them go and not worry about them and they'll do their thing. And do you think working with all your neighbours together and basically sharing beetles that you've developed a bit more of a community spirit there? Yeah, it's one of those things where um, we haven't really, because we've only just done releases, um, you know, and the the winter ones have been moving in the area for quite a while. So they are in not just where we are, but, but they are across the district a little bit. And... What we did was we ended up, we got some more winter ones, which were actually the same species as what we had. So it's a little bit like introducing some new genetics to your farm with some different beetles. So over a period of time, hopefully, um, yeah, the species can evolve in this area and, uh, and really benefit. Diversity, diversity. Tell me, if someone wanted to get into some dung beetles, do they need one colony, two colonies? Like what acreage does it cover for one colony? Uh, well, it, it probably doesn't really matter. Um, you start off with approximately, you know, around 800 beetles and so they'll just breed up. Um, and once they've finished what you're doing, uh, well, what's on your property, um, they'll just sort of spread. So um, you're going to have a few losses as far as beetles die in transport and um, taken by birds for starters. So um, with that sort of numbers, it's probably just a good number as far as giving the colony a chance of getting established by what? What we've done by doing a community thing is trying to uh, increase the time and the, the chance of them surviving um, by doing it in numbers sort of thing. So, like I said, it's, it's only very early in stages and with beetles, uh, when you release a colony, it probably takes two to four years before you actually really see any benefit. Wow. What a great story. I love the simplicity of it. Uh, and the fact that you're working with your community and building that environment together, I just, I think it's a brilliant story. Thanks for sharing that with us today, Rodney. No worries. You're very welcome. Please follow the Biological Farming Roundtable podcast. Share it with your friends and networks. I'm Nicola Maddick and I work at Nutrisoil, a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food.